And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be talking about the hard-fought but ultimately successful win over Brentford and some of the tactical tweaks that helped it happen. We'll also be talking about the young kids leading the charge to get us back into Europe, and we'll be marking the anniversary of one of the greatest wins in the club's history. To do that, we're going to need some guests with some expert insight, and we've got two of them, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Uh, I was going to make some, I almost did a little joke there. You know, we're going to need some guests with some insight, but all we could get, I was going to do that, but I thought, you know what? There's no need for that. We're not messing people about. Come on, go on, give us the joke. No, no, that was the joke. I was going to get some guests with some tactical insight, but I couldn't find any. So here's Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Much better. (laughs) All right, we'll cut that first bit out. Anyway, um, (laughs) Amy. Uh, you wrote a piece uh, uh, entitled Arsenal's Fab Four uh, on the website. Uh, we're talking about um, Martin Odegaard, uh, Bakayo Saka, Mill Smith-Rowe and Gabby Martinelli. Um, we got Wolves on Thursday. Uh, uh, assuming they're all fit, we thought as an opening question, uh, who are you not picking out of the four? Amy, I'll start with you. And um, by the way, the answer is not having all four of them and Lacazette is on the bench. All right. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shucks. <No. laughs> um, but uh, do you know what? Writing that piece anyway, you, you, you struggle sometimes with do you use a phrase like fab four, you know, you know that automatically that comes with some sort of uh, expectation or, you know, build up or whatever connotation. And um, it's just such a handy phrase because they're just four really good young players. But yeah, I was conscious of not trying to make it out. That it's like, you know, some sort of um, Newcastle of supremacy that loads too much on the lads because they're just all of them doing quite extraordinary job. Who to leave out? Well, Gabby Martinelli looked ever so cosy under his sluggardy blanket at the Emirates, uh, I thought. I just think fundamentally, because Erdegaard plays a specialist role that is not, un- you know, there's less like the other three who are a bit more interchangeable, you probably can't take him out. So you're left with the other three. And I just think because of the goal power that Sacco and Smithrow have, that that turns it for me. For all of Martinelli's potential, uh, he hasn't quite, he hasn't had as many opportunities, but he hasn't got the consistency of goal threat that the other two have provided this season. And for that reason, because Arsenal need goals, I'd, I would stick rather than twist. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, what about you? I'm a sticker. Yeah, too. I, th- I think that, yeah, Martinelli, obviously you can, you can argue about the rights and wrongs of that dismissal, but... 
but ultimately he, he probably will pay a price for, for for that moment of sort of um not madness as such but you know what I mean where he just lost his head slightly and I think he's going to have to sit and wait now it was a case of if Smithrow comes in and takes his chance then he keeps his spot that's how it how it should be really and inside that dressing room that's the fair way to go about it he did deliver he was excellent scored a great goal so I think that Gabby has to wait there is there will be a place for all four of them between now and the end of the season in my opinion I mean Lacazette can't can't probably play in every game and I would like to see it I would like to see it but but maybe not against Wolves because I do think that Lacazette's presence as that sort of barrier someone who backs in and 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 you can sort of bounce things off of him I think that is important in this game so I wouldn't change it for this one but other matches Martinelli up top with those three behind I'm all right with that on, so mate. you're definitely going for a Martinelli. That's um, you know, that's the obvious choice to use. Yeah, I was absolutely fascinated to hear um, Mikel say that uh, amongst the positions he was asked in the press conference what he felt was uh, Emil's prime position, and he reeled off three or four options and ended up up by saying a very very good number nine. <laughs> okay, wow. I didn't know whether that was sort of preparing us for. Mm. You know that that might happen at some stage mm. this season. Whether it's you know at a point in the game where Lacazette's unavailable or needs a rest, and that's what they try. But I thought mm. that was really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if if he could hold the ball better, I think he'd already be playing up front because he is he is a guy that that is a natural finisher. I think that he can run both sides. He can run the left. He can run the right. Um, he's rapid, as we know, and I just think sometimes he's a little bit wasted on the on the left hand side, a little bit marooned. Don't you think it's almost that like Paul Merson, if he you know had Alan Smith next to him, and if Emil mm. Smith Rowe had an equivalent next to him, we played a, a pair, then I think mm. you could see him being even more productive than he is at the moment. He's been phenomenally productive in terms of goal numbers from the left side, and when Ten his goals. his numbers are comparable with a Pires or an on or a uh, Jungberg. Playing, playing, playing off, you know, from a wide position. Also, with some of the top scorers in the division at the moment as well, they're doing. But him and Saka are doing phenomenally well goal-wise. Um, I, I uh, uh, well, I'm having all four of them in the team, uh, and Lacazette. <laughs> you Hang can't on. have. Them. No, no. The, I said you, you just can't changed have them. the question rule. No, I didn't. You said I, no, I said you couldn't have them. I know the reason I said that is because I want them there. You see, <laughs> um, uh, Odegaard, Saka, uh, ESR, and Gabby up top because I. I don't know, I just love watching Gabby annoy defenders and I think he can do that Luis Suarez thing, which is how I see him, and and I'd love to see that. Uh, but I sort of see what Adrian's saying about this Thursday. Wolves are going to be a tough, tough game. We'll get to that uh, in a short while. You can read Amy's piece, uh, piece. We'll be delving into that shortly. Uh, and you can do so exclusively at The Athletic. If you're not already uh, with us, you can get a subscription for £1 a month for the next six months by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Saka, he's got Lacazette in the middle. Saka goes on his own. A ruthless finish from Bukayo Saka. And the three points are Arsenal's. Arsenal 2 Brentford won. Uh, it sounds closer than it was. Um, Adrian, we're still not making that many presentable chances. We stood there at the end of the first half saying, yeah, we had the ball a lot and we, we looked good and we slung in. I think Amy used trying to break the record for a number of crosses, which, <laughs> by the way, we we, uh, we set up against Burnley in the previous game. Um, 
it got better in the second half, but is part of the problem... All right, I'll ask you this first, Adrian. Is part of the problem with Lacazette is that he only really gets one or two chances a game and perhaps the pressure on him is a bit too much? Uh, no, he's, he's, a, he's an experienced player. I think he can handle pressure. He's just in that in that spell, isn't he, where he needs one a scruffy one to go in. He's, just, he's getting a little bit tight. He's getting a touch wound up maybe about not scoring. I think the miss at Wolves... Will, will have played on his mind for sure. He's just tightened up, as as sports people do sometimes when they're a little bit low on confidence. I thought it was a really good performance. I thought that we created enough chances to score three or four goals quite comfortably. Um, okay, we didn't test the goalkeeper maybe enough, but how many times? And I'll go wait. I'll go back to the Wenger era where you know we were a bit more successful. It's fair to say, but. How many times did we uh, watch a match at Emirates Stadium against a team that didn't want the ball and it was side to side, side to side, boring. We we, we struggled to, to break them down. Um, it wasn't like that in this game. I thought there was a good, you know, there were good angles. There was fluency. There was a pace to our attacks. I like the drive, particularly down the sides. We really targeted overloads um, in, the, in the wing back area. It was good, I thought. And, a fair result, I think, would have been three or four nil. And you weren't worried at half time, no, particularly. Not I at mean... all. Not at all. But 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 like Burnley, I would have been worried at seventy minutes had 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 we not scored because then that pressure. It's not just Lacazette then that tightens up. Maybe everybody else feels feels that weight of responsibility after what happened against Burnley. So so the Smith Rowe goal was huge, wasn't it? In in the context of the game, but no, I I just felt that it was a good performance from right from the word go. To be honest. It was sharp, wasn't it? Adrian, I've got a question for you. Um, this sort of crossing policy um, <laughs> against teams who are camped around their area, can you explain what Arteta's thinking is? Because I know it's difficult to break down teams mm. who are uh, uh, you're not making too much attempt to, to take the game themselves forwards, but... It doesn't... It's not very successful for us. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so why... Why is that still the primary game plan in these kind of matches at home until, you know, or do you just have to keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, hope that eventually one of their defenders doesn't get their head on it and it breaks or that they tire or switch off or suddenly there's a, it felt like it was the first moment in the game when Smithrow picked up the ball that it's like, hello, there's space here. I, it was almost because I felt maybe they came back out in the second half and perhaps they weren't quite, kind of in the mode, Brentford. Mm. But as soon as that ball came to him, it was like, it's the first time all game there had been room. Yeah. I, I did a top 10 goals of the season so far, sort of breakdown recently. I don't know if you saw it. And, and we, we haven't scored any long-range blockbusters <laughs> at all this season. No. Most of our best goals have been team goals that start at the back, that end in the back of the net. They've been sort of full length of the pitch, breakaways, either counters, turnovers... Or moves that start with with Ramsdale and, and yeah, both the goals here were, were similar. That's our best strength, no doubt about that. When we attack at speed, when opposition defences aren't settled, we we are we are dynamite at times, um, or a lot of the time, to be honest. In terms of the crossing policy, we had twenty nine from open play in this game. That's three more and gallons of corners. Yeah, that's three more than in any other game, and it's ten more 
the, the next most, uh, you know, crossy game. It's remarkable, really. So um, we have 43 overall. So if you're adding corners, it's just mad. Easily the most of the season. Um, the, in open play, I'll tell you what, what the thinking is. It was, when you come up against those low blocks that protect the spine of the pitch, it's let's overload the wide areas. And we did it brilliantly. We spread the midfield out, Erdegaard wide right, Xhaka wide left, which is a bit unusual. And we create, and with the fullbacks there as well, we created 3v2s the whole game. And, and we got a lot of joy. A lot of our best football was, was doing that. Adrian, can I just jump in there? Yes, we got a lot of joy and we got a lot of crosses in, mm. but they are two of the biggest centre halves I've ever seen in my life. I mean, when they there was a corner, the first corner, and they and and uh, there were there were these two guys standing there, head and shoulders above everyone. <laughs> One of them was next to uh, Gabriel, and I thought yeah. that's our that's our centre half there, yeah. and he's so it's the all choice well. of crosses. The the choice of crosses the issue. Don't hang them up because Giroud left ages ago. <laughs> like, like we don't hang them up. I, the idea is create those overloads, get to the byline where possible, and flash it across the face of goal. Now Smith Rowe has scored from goals like that. Erdegaard has scored from positions like that. Lacazette scores from positions like that. They all do. Um, so I think the idea is to get into those positions and fizz it along the face of goal and hope hope to fill the box. And I think we're getting better at that. But but yeah, hanging the ball up high, it, it is a waste of time. Unless of course you you win the second ball and score from from knockdowns all the time, which we're not really doing either. No, not at the moment. And uh, but as you said, when Emil Smith Rowe broke the lines, uh, and and a word for Kieran Tin is run outside to to slightly distract the defender. Um, why couldn't we do that in the first half then? Uh, Amy, I'll ask you that, actually. Why why did we not do that so much in the first half? We seem to be doing what Adrian was saying, side to side a little bit, and there didn't seem to be any penetration through the lines. Yeah, but I just think that in that first half, Brentford set out uh, with a very clear game plan, which was based on having bodies in a very well-organised couple yeah. of blocks uh, around their penalty area. So I don't think it was that the space didn't exist for us to play that way in the first half. Now, you know, whether it was Brentford's error to allow that space to appear in the second half. And of course, once the first goal comes in, they have got to come out a bit more. So then that helps. I wanted to ask you, Amy, about the piece you wrote uh, about, as you said, the Fab Four, and we don't want to load too much onto them, <laughs> but they are they Sorry. are fabulous, and there's four of them. If there was five of them, we call them the famous five, I imagine. It's one of those Ooh. things. Julian Dick well, and Anne, George and Timmy well, the dog. <laughs> Kids, you don't know what I'm talking about. No, no, don't worry. Look at, read it, look it up. Google it, or whatever you do. But nowadays. if you do, make sure to watch the comic strip version and not the Ian of Lighten version. Anyway. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, in one of the things, uh, one of the... Uh, parts of the article you wrote about what Mikel Arteta said that uh, Martin Odegaard has captain potential uh, loved by everyone respected by everyone is the heartbeat of the team now isn't he um, are we starting to see that potential being realised and do you think he will get the captaincy in the next year or two or possibly sooner uh, uh, I don't know about sooner but in answer to your second question a gut feeling is that he would go for Odegaard as the next captain if it was his choice I think that he just um, sees him not not only as some kind of project, but also as uh, like he's he's really head boy material in terms of his personality. I think he's uh, 
you know, if you if you use the term model pro and then kind of supersize it somehow, that's the way I think managers regard his character and his personality and his professionalism and what he brings to his idea of being a footballer and how to represent himself and his club. Yeah, I think Arteta adores him, it seems. And what's interesting is that he is being kind of moulded into this hub on heartbeat to an extent of the team. First of all, I'd like to see how that feels different if and when Arsenal managed to maybe improve the centre mid around him, because I think that that could be a bit more liberating in some ways. But if you think about those players who have who have been uh, bestowed that sort of responsibility in the past, I mean, you can see that Odegaard is, is a work in progress and he's got you know, beautiful technique. And I think he's in, been improving recently is the case. I don't think he was at this level early on in the season. He would have some duff games where he didn't influence things at all. And it was a bit, that was when he was the one who took a turn out, out the team, out of the so-called Fab Four, because he wasn't really warranting it. You compare him to say, you know, a Bergkamp type. And obviously what he doesn't have is the ability to create and score as regularly. So that was, you know, Bergkamp was almost unique in that regard in Arsenal's history in that he was the playmaker and the heartbeat, but his goal-scoring record was also genius. Then you look at someone like uh, a Santi. Now, what Santi had that uh, Odegaard doesn't have is two-footedness, and actually that lack of a right foot seemed quite telling on a couple of occasions. And, (laughs) you know, there were possibly two more very, very presentable chances that could uh, uh, could have happened that didn't for, for want of, of using the right foot more, more quickly, you know, so I, what, what I think is, is positive in a way is there's still development to come. I don't know. We don't know how far that's going to go, but Arteta made that point and said, you know, that he's, he has a big margin for improvement and everything he does is to become better. And I think that's needed really, if Arsenal are going to take another step and elevate themselves, it does need more. Um, but the other thing he said that fascinated me was, was Mikel said he wants it probably more than anybody else on that pitch every single day. I'd like to ask Adrian what you think of that, because I thought that was a, a fascinating comment, but also a slightly dangerous one, because I don't know how well that would go down with other members of the squad. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, if someone said that about somebody else, it would have to be true for, for it to go down well, wouldn't it? It would have to be, you, you, you couldn't argue against it. Um, whether that's the case or not, none of us know, do we? So I, I'm always very, um, not anti, but I, I, I don't buy into the fact that players have to be um, at it every single day in training. I, I just don't. Patrick Vieira being a <laughs> fine don't. example of that. Right? Yeah, I mean, so many brilliant players that I played with were, were, were crap in training some days. <laughs> it happens. You know, you, you just... You, but as long as you sort of build up to the week and that it starts to get a little bit serious towards match day and that you're not mucking around, it's it should be fine. As, as long as you're delivering on the pitch, it should be fine. Yeah, your attitude's got to be right. You've got to put the work in, but... I don't think, you, yeah, a lot of managers will argue you should train like you should play, but I don't necessarily always buy into that. But, but yeah, that's just my personal opinion. Um, I, I do like Erdegaard. I think 
Um, Captain material. I mean, above Kieran Tierney, who I think a lot of people have talked about in the past as as the next, the, the successor, if you like. Amy, you're shaking your head. What do you think, Adrian? <laughs> I'll ask you first. I don't, I don't think there's a real standout, I've got to say. Tierney's got the sort of aggressive qualities, but uh, and is more of a sort of old school skipper, I guess. I'm not against a figurehead skipper, someone who's your best player, being the the one at the front of the of the tunnel. I always think that 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 can, that can matter. Um, well, that's Saka then, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, which is why which is why I think that that in time he 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 might be a candidate. The issue with Erdegaard is that it's only really now that I see him as a definite starter. Um, I think I I don't know how nailed on it is that he plays that what's changed by the way in recent games is that Thomas Partey is the sole central midfielder okay now you wanted we've to got, talk about this this yeah, slight we've got, change in in formation that we've been doing yeah it's not a two with him and Xhaka it's 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 Xhaka is a sort of a wide not a wider left midfielder and Erdegaard is the mirror of that on the right hand side and if you, yeah, I mean, you, if you look at the average position map of this game, if, you, if anyone's got access to that, then then you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. There's Partey in the middle, and on the ball, Xhaka and Erdegaard's touches were those of a sort of in, of, of a narrow winger at times. It, it's inside very, left and inside it's, right. Yeah, exactly. It, that's the change. And for me, that suits Erdegaard. That, because he's, he doesn't score enough to be a number 10. He doesn't want to get into the box enough to be that number 10. But in that more of a central midfield role where he gets onto the ball a lot and dictates like Santa used to, then I really, I do like him in that position. The fish out of water is Xhaka because that, that's not, that's not what his game is about. He, you don't really expect Xhaka to be up inside the final third prompting, do you? So, so he's the one, if this is the system moving forward, he, he's the one that, I think will be replaced. If Mikel Arteta is building a team around Erdegaard, then this shape will stay. And in terms of Thomas Partey, uh, Amy quietly went about his business the other day, didn't he? Uh, and he and he really he looked happy and contented in that midfield, which you couldn't always say about about him this season. But he's he. Do you think he's settled in? We're seeing we're seeing getting towards the best of him now. I think we should have that chat in another month. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm not I'm sure just... Brentford at home uh, is the is the game to be the gauge. Uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did think he was yeah. good. Uh, I I think in in previous matches against teams of that level, he's been guilty of coasting through through matches, yeah. not pushing himself. Thomas Partey in this game, I found it quite hard to fault for him. I've watched it back, and when I watched it the second time. He, he was a real standout. And obviously the part he played in, in Saka's goal was tremendous. Well, he That's took a what... long time over the pass, didn't he? I mean, my God, we were all going, go on, he's running next to you. And Saka had to hold his run. Yeah, I, I thought he did, timed it perfectly, to be honest. <laughs> only, <laughs> there you go. Only because Saka's a genius. <laughs> only because Saka can take the ball yeah. in his instep and just but just belt it into the corner. It was but brilliant. I, yeah. It was a fantastic finish. Yeah, um, he was and, better. Sorry, he was better in the game, Parte. I know you got your hand up. Um, one more thing about Bukayo Saka. Uh, if we're nominating someone for captain, I'm having him. I said I had this chat about a month ago. I think he is the best player we've got. I think he's going to be a superstar. I think every um, and we've spoken to Adrian about this. Every challenge <clears> that he has been, that has been put in front of him, he has. 
stepped up and and taken it on. And I think he'd be the same with the captaincy. I think he leads by example. He gets goals for us. He's a wonderful footballer and 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 seems like a wonderful kid as well. And and one of those lead by examples guys. I, I remember when David Beckham got the captaincy for England, and he sort of became David Beckham. He became that that figure that everyone can sort of you know look to. And I sort of see the same with Bukayo Saka, really. And he's definitely one of the first names on the team sheet as well, in my opinion. <laughs> I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be amazed to see the keeper or two of the centre-backs get it either, though. There is that. have a there problem are, with that. As, as Adrian says, there are no standout nominees. I'm just putting his name forward. Go on, Amy, you want to say something? Yeah, Adrian, the Xhaka uh, conundrum with this yeah. new system, with the current squad as it is... Can you envisage a better choice or better way of uh, organising the personnel to have a different type of player there who maybe provides a bit more? How would you do it? Would you put Smith Rowe there yeah. or play yeah. maybe Pepe uh, uh, in a more forward position? Or you know, there are different ways that you yeah. could you could do it. Definitely, yeah. I think you could use. Probably the most obvious is, is Smith Rowe, and then you could have Martinelli on the outside. And I mean, we have seen that, haven't we? In certain matches, we've had seen the Smith Rowe and Erdegaard in front of a Partey or in front of a Xhaka or in front do of a Lekonga. Do you think it worked? Do you think it's the right time? Do you think it's, it's too early? Do you, do you, uh, got it leaves you light. Important games, exactly. I would never. I would. Ne- I wouldn't dream of playing that way against Liverpool or Chelsea or you know Spurs or whatever. But. Against the Brentford, against the Norwich, against the Burnley, where you have all the ball, why not? Yeah, it, it, the issue is when you lose the ball, and it's like, do 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 you have two players there that want to get forward, not you know as aware defensively? It, it does put so much on Thomas Partey's shoulders against the better team. So, yeah, I, I think in the long run we need that box to box left-sided player that that is a central midfielder that also sort of bombs on from the, from the left that is that will be a target i think in the summer one more question before we move on um we're in sixth place at the moment three games in hand on west ham and man united um i i mean some people are saying we're favorites for the top 4 um i don't think we are amy I mean, we've got some very tough games. We've got a young squad. We've only got 15 first-team players, as far as I can make out. Um, what do you think, Amy? Well, I just think it really is coming down to goals predominantly. And I think that you know, the, the back five feels very settled, you know, and providing there isn't any terrible situations with injuries or, or suspensions in that department. Um, I think that with Tommy Yasu coming back, presumably pretty quickly now that he's... Uh, back in full training and, and available, I think, soon. That helps too. But yeah, I just think in some of the, you know, once we get past, when you look at the fixture list, so you can probably regard the next three games until Arsenal play Liverpool as ones that are have potential for for nine points. Doesn't mean you're going to get them, but Wolves at home, Watford away, Leicester home. Then, it start, then you get a run of games where really all of them look a bit hairy. Potentially, Liverpool at home, Villa away, tricky. Palace away, anything could happen. Brighton at home, very difficult to play against. Southampton away, they've suddenly become extremely difficult to play against. Man United home, that's going to be critical. West Ham away, also sort of up there looking around for European place, not easy. And then there's three towards the end of the season that are more comfortable. Plus, we've got to put in 
Tottenham and Chelsea. Why? Yeah. So I, I just think I, I keep coming back to I'm so trying not to, but I keep feeling that slightly ominous, haunty feeling about not having <laughs> a big presence, slightly frightening and intimidating to the opposition, uh, you know, goal threat at centre forward. Yeah. And I do take my hat off to uh, Saka and Smith Rowe in the most emphatic way possible. Because actually, when you look at the stats, the the number of goals that they have provided bears, you know, extremely excellent comparison to all those teams uh, around Arsenal who are in a similar position looking at hoping for fourth place or maybe ending up fifth and sixth. So the, the top two goal scorers for Man United, which is Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes, I've got 18 goals. The top two at Tottenham, which is Kane and Son, I've got 16 goals. The top two at West Ham, which is Bowen and Antonio, have 16 goals. And the top two at Arsenal, which is Smith Rowe and Saka, aged 20 and 21, are infinitely less experienced than all their rivals in that department, also have 16 goals. It's a phenomenal achievement. You talked about the combined ages of those players, well, of those pairings. It's and... wild when you look at it. You, you, yeah. you know, it's it's incredibly impressive. Ronaldo and Fernandez are what eighty eight or something. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite the gap. But... On, 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 I'm glad you brought it up because yeah, it, it's pressure pressure games from here on in. It's, and and it, I just think, yeah. can you realistically expect yeah. Smith Rowe and Saka, who are also yeah. are delivering those gold numbers, yeah. playing from wide yeah. positions, unlike yeah. all the yeah. other pairings that we've discussed? Yeah. Can we realistically expect them to keep chipping in at this rate for the remaining, you know, fifteen or so games a season? Wow. If they do, if they do, then they deserve a whopping great pay rise and the best new contract we can offer them. Um, but it's, I just think it's a humongous ask. And when you're looking around at who else is going to chip in with the goals if it's not them, you know, it, it's relatively slim pickings. Yeah, Ronaldo and, Ronaldo and Kane haven't had stellar seasons until this point. Obviously, Kane was fantastic at the weekend. You, you think, well... Kane's got to get better. He's got, to, you know, if this is the start of a run for him, that gives Spurs a leg up, doesn't it? Um, Ronaldo, yeah. I, I wish we had somebody of that level leading our line because if we did, then then it wouldn't be nailed on. But we would justifiably be the favourites. The reason we're not favourites is because we're we're having to rely on on Alexander Lacazette as the as the striker and two young players two young wide players for, for the bulk of our goals it is a big ask we've, undoubtedly we've got the most potential out of all the challenges but but the the others have much more big game experience so uh, yeah who knows but it should be exciting Look, and we're in the race like in previous years yeah, the last couple of years how how dreadful has it been having nothing to play for at the end of the season? It's been boring, hasn't it? So let's just enjoy it. Exactly. Uh, well, I'll try not to spoil your enjoyment by telling <laughs> anyone who doesn't know that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored a hat-trick at the weekend for Barcelona <laughs> as they won 4-1. Um, he played, the, the BBC Sport graphic suggested he played in a front three down the middle and he's the first player to score a hat-trick in La Liga, the Premier League, Bundesliga and League uh, this century. We, we wish him well, but uh, I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We went a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is handbrake off Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Uh, 21st of February 2006, exactly 16 years ago. Uh, this is in the days when Arsenal uh, were perennial Champions League qualifiers and we were playing the likes of Real Madrid. And on this day we were actually playing uh, Real Madrid. And we went to the Bernabeu and won 1-0. Um, were either of you there, by the way, uh, Amy? Um, I was, yes. You were there, Amy. Oh All right. God. Because I was looking. I, I mean, oh, my God. Exactly. I think I might start crying, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting, though, because I looked at the team, Amy, and this was, this was not the best team that Arsene Wenger had by any means. I mean, you look at the defence... Uh, Jens in goal, Jens Lehmann in goal, uh, Ibue, Torre, Senderos and Flamini. That wouldn't be your first choice <laughs> defence out of the early Wenger years. Yeah, but the magic happened, Stoney. Ten games in a row. The mag- we yeah, they, they pretty much broke a record with this peculiar makeshift defence. <laughs> Um, and the longer it went on, the more everyone scratched their heads and thought, what's going on here? You know, and by was, the way, by the way, I'm looking further up the pitch. I mean, is there a, oh, there is a holding midfielder. Gilberto is in front of them. That probably makes a huge amount of difference. But we went to the Bernabeu. We, we deserved that, didn't we? I mean, we were the better team in that game. Oh, yeah. It was a phenomenal performance from front to back. And I remember the Madrid... Fans, particularly, it was a very, very important game for Cesc Fabregas. He was beginning to make a lot of waves as this young Spanish Tyro that was uh, catching everybody's eye. And it was a big deal for him to go and play in in the Bernabeu, uh, especially having come through at La Masia in Barcelona. And if memory serves, I think they even kind of applauded him off. Uh, Although I think part of that was almost a, a tactic of... Well, maybe we'll buy him one day, so we'll make him feel good about being in the, in the Bernabeu. But um, he he was absolutely excellent and, and dominated. And this was the Madrid team with um, with many a, a Galactico legend in as well. So it was quite something. And Thierry, obviously, that goal is is ingrained in everybody's mind. It's Henri getting clear.
Madrid nil, Arsenal won. But it was an imperious performance for him, for, for him. He looked like exactly what he was at the time, which is a contender for the best player in the world. He played with that swagger. He scored an absolutely brilliant goal. And the great thing about it was I remember feeling for the re- remaining whatever it was, 15, 20 minutes, I can't remember. It, w- it wasn't too late, that goal. It was fairly early in the second half, I think. But I didn't feel that Madrid were going to come into it. That was the fascinating thing. You know, you think on one of those games where you're underdogs and you go away from home and you, you nick a goal that suddenly you're going to be under pressure trying to protect it. But it didn't feel like that. There felt like a kind of golden relaxation about the way the team played that day. It was really beautiful. They just looked like they were enjoying it, like they were in control. Um, and I have such vivid memories of the whole day. I remember before the game, walking around outside and I was with a friend who was looking for a ticket and I was working so I had access to the press box, luckily. And we were going around trying to find it, trying to buy a ticket off anybody. And it was really difficult. And the longer we were outside trying to look for tickets in the hubbub and build up of atmosphere in Madrid, and they were super confident, all the Real Madrid fans. I mean, I it's a wonder that I wasn't actually physically sick. I remember that feeling of like, <laughs> having such butterflies and building it up so much. And Arsenal have been in rotten form as well going into that game. So uh, um, my expectations were this is not going to go well. And that almost added to the kind of um, the poetry of the way the game unfolded because it came from a position of not being very optimistic at all. And when, when Thierry scored, I was sat with a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, God rest his soul, Roy Collins, who wrote for the Sunday Telegraph at the time and I was on the Observer and he was a big Arsenal supporter. We used to travel to a lot of games together for work and spend all our time in the car chatting about life, the universe and everything. And he was quite, he was a funny man and a quite, an, he didn't care what he said if it was going to upset people. And we were in the press box and we both celebrated, which is not done. And there was a, 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 a guy behind us, I think they were from Scandinavia, who, was extri- who actually wanted us thrown out the press box. He was extremely offended that Roy and I sort of jumped up and hugged when uh, when Thierry scored. And we spent the rest of the game making, you know, like silly children trying to make comments to annoy him. Which, <laughs> Love which it. It's quite enjoyable as well. That's, and I then mean, afterwards, it's one of those, I'm just going to finish by saying this. When you talk about feelings and, you know, <clears> for me, the joy of football is the feelings that it gives you in your life. And especially when they're, different to what you might have every day and it was one of those where when you're leaving the ground you you did feel like you were walking on air you did feel like your head was in the clouds and you did feel like you had a smile on your face it was unwipe offable and <laughs> that kind of buoyancy that you get with a with a famous result and a slightly unexpected result that makes you feel so proud to be part of this in some way, because that's the team you chose. And you knew that it was a game that was, you know, they were sending shockwaves around the world that when all the, you know, Champions League highlights shows were going on everywhere on the planet, that was the game that people were watching going, oh my God, Arsenal, that's amazing. And uh, even the next morning you wake up and you still feel like light and 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 jo- joyous. Ah, it was. It, you don't get that many of them, obviously, and and that's why it's really, really important to cherish those moments and keep them in, locked inside you forever. 
Adrian, that buoyancy mm. that Amy's talking about, that carried us all the way through at the final, didn't it, really? It, it did, yeah, with, with Flamini at left-back again, wasn't he, for the for the semi-finals against uh, Villarreal. So, yeah, there's not much more I can add. I mean, Amy was there. It just felt, because I was got a bit detached for, for, from it at the time. I wasn't working with Arsenal at, at that point in time. I watched it, of course, and, and I do have memories of it. My memory of, my main memory is the, the, the sort of no-fear attitude, the, the confidence that, that this team had to take the fight to, to Real Madrid and, and to really go go at them. And, and they created so many chances. Um, could have It could have been a more handsome victory, in, in my opinion. And the goal from Henri was just, yeah, it just sort of typified his brilliance, didn't it, really? And, and Amy was right to sort of contextualise it with the form. Um, I, I was looking at that season in the Premier League. Arsenal lost nine away games in the Premier League, yeah. which is just mad. We, we finished 24 points behind Chelsea that season in fourth place. It, it wasn't, we weren't that solid. <laughs> we weren't, um, for the most part, that, that brilliant on the road. But in the Champions League, there was a magic that year. And, um, and yeah, we came so close, didn't we? We did uh, come pretty close. The, the Real Madrid team, by the way, included uh, Casilla, Sergio Ramos, uh, Roberto Carlos, uh, David Beckham, Zidane, uh, Robinho uh, and Raul, who came on as a sub for him, and Ronaldo. Uh, also, by the way, uh, contained Thomas Graveson <laughs> and <laughs> Julio Baptista, who came on as a sub for them in the 76th minute. If you want to watch something beautiful and joyous, as well as Thierry Henry's goal, which just, I think... I think it might be the goal of his that I love the most because of the, the, the mix of strength and speed and skill that it combined. But there's also a bit when he takes it into the corner and is messing about with them a little bit and just looks so arrogant in in that beautiful Thierry Henry that, uh, way that only he can. And uh, it is worth uh, a couple of minutes of your time, Amy. Uh, just when you're reeling off those list of names, um, it reminds me of the return leg, the the second leg at, at Highbury, nil. which was a which was great game. Maybe the best nil nil that's ever been played. I don't know. I mean, it felt like it. And uh, just remember the feeling as well of being at Highbury and uh, beautiful Highbury, uh, so close to the pitch and and so intimate, and seeing you know the Zidane's and Roberto Carlos and in front of our eyes. It was that was that was very very magical as well. Well, hopefully uh, what the team is doing will take us back to those heady heights uh, at some point. Um, one other thing uh, before we go, I should uh, we did mention it last week. Um, James did an inter- had an interview with uh, Philippe Senderos, uh, who, uh, of course, played in that game. And, uh, and it talks about what Arsenal can learn from the LA Rams win in the Super Bowl. Um, I guess we'll be getting a £6 billion stadium fairly soon. Okay. Um, <laughs> Just quickly, have, I've got a quick yeah. quick quiz question for you both. Oh, yeah. Uh, Senderos is um, technical director uh, at Servette in Switzerland. This is his first club. Which ex-Arsenal player of some repute is currently at Servette? Of Ooh. some repute? Well, he was involved in an extremely important team. Let's put it that way. Uh, Adrian, you're... Oh, you're I, haven't got, I haven't got a clue. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw this. 
I must admit, yeah, my knowledge of Swiss football is, yeah. is limited, to say the least. All right, so, okay, yeah, I'll give know. you a clue. He's actually a member of the Invincibles. Yeah. Uh, which member of the Invincibles is currently at Servette? <laughs> I'm just trying to think. He didn't play that youngest. often. He was quite young and he was a defender. Come on, guys. Oh, my. Oh, this is so... You know what? I do this. I, I do this sometimes when I, I ask right. questions. One more clue. One more clue. Left Go back. on. Hoyt. Hoyt? No, no. Which no? Hoyt? <laughs> Clichy. Gavin? It's, it's either Clichy. Clichy. Gail Clichy. There you Clichy. go. Clichy. Yeah. Clichy. Yeah. Clichy. If, if Wikipedia is correct at the time of looking, that is a fact. <laughs> Which uh, I went blue and heck when I saw that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't think any of them were still still playing. Amazing. There you go. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I, I, do you know what? I never would have guessed that in a million years. And I, I, I didn't know he was still playing, to be honest with you, but fair enough. Uh, let's have a song before we head off into the sunset. Amy, I'm going to start with you. We were talking Fab Four, so I thought I'd better choose a Beatles song. No pressure. <laughs> um, I'm just going to go for Get Back, Get Back to Where We Once Belong. Yes, so apt, uh, Adrian. I feel perfect. Now. Is, do, do you I know mean, what? Do you know what? That is that is a great that is a great song choice. Um, I've gone Beatles as well for obvious reasons. I've gone for Here Comes the Sun because I feel like the nice. sun is on its way. And, and some of the lyrics. I was looking at some of the lyrics this morning. Obviously, preface with Little Darling, but the smiles returning to the faces. It feels <laughs> like years since it's been here. It, I feel the ice is slowly melting. It seems like years since it's been clear. I just feel that even if we, even if we don't get fourth this year, it feels like something better is building and that the sun is around the corner. So that's my choice. Here comes the sun. One nil, Clark. I don't know, you know. It's a great I think, choice. I, they're, they're both excellent choices. I was looking, I was looking for something which basically it's about one game at a time. But I found one day at a time, uh, which is uh, an old uh, uh, Christian country song, which is not the choice I would normally make. But it is essentially uh, one day at a time, one game. Next is Wolves, and we can't be thinking any further than that. Uh, it's been nice chatting to you guys that's been Handbrake Off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic thank you to Amy and thank you to Adrian and thanks to Abby our producer and we'll see you next week As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 